Welcome to episode 224 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me in a return engagement is Karen Cleveland, whose thriller, You Can Run, was just published by Ballantine Books. Thank you for taking the time to join the podcast, Karen. Thank you for having me on. If you didn't invent the subgenre of domestic suspense meets international spy thriller, I think you perfected it. Uh, you can run echoes some of the themes in your previous novels, especially Need to Know, which was your debut. Work-life balance is one thing, but when work is in intelligence and the fate of nations can be on the line, an individual needs the balance of a high-wire walker. In fact, you summed it up early in this book. Um, I'm quoting you. The agency spends so much time digging into employees' finances and their foreign contacts, looking for vulnerabilities. But with me, there was one thing the agency security team missed, the one thing that was truly a vulnerability, my family. That was how they got to me. So what does an intelligence agency do? Well, you know, um, first of all, thank you for those kind words, and I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And, um, you know, it, it is something that I sort of like to write about, kind of bringing in the domestic suspense side of things and kind of um, bringing it together with uh, spy fiction. And, you know, I, I spent eight years at the CIA, so that's kind of something that I I know. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I, I really like reading domestic suspense and psychological thrillers. So it did sort of feel kind of natural to blend the two. And um, it, the people who work at CIA are so varied. Um, it's not all uh, gun-toting, globetrotting men. There's plenty of gun-toting, globetrotting women and plenty of women and men who work at Langley and live in the suburbs and go home at night to their families and have all of those sort of um, family concerns as well. But, you know, those people have the same access to classified information. Sometimes they have much more access. So I think there are a lot of stories there to be told. Which is both uh, enjoyable as a reader and frightening as a citizen. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> in You Can Run, you talk between the two main characters both written in the first person. Jill, who is uh, the CIA and then former CIA analyst, and Alex, the journalist. Alex, I should say short for Alexandra. One is running as fast as possible away from something, and one is relentlessly chasing the same thing. And from a process perspective, did you write first from Jill's point of view and then Alex's, or did you, and moving between the two? Or did, or did you do it in more of a linear fashion? Like first I'm gonna have uh, the part with Jill and then I'm gonna have the part with Alex. I'm always fascinated by this because it just seems like such a difficult thing to wrap uh, your head around as a writer. I did actually write it in a linear fashion. And I think that's sort of how I've approached all of my novels outlining it and then just sort of starting at the beginning and moving forward. So even with the two narrators, I was sort of just going chapter by chapter and trying to get into each of their heads. Although you do also move in time because mm -hmm. when we switch to Alex, we go back in time, I think a few weeks mm -hmm. and bring her up to the, up to uh, the point in time where their stories intersect. I have to say, this is a very difficult book to talk about mm -hmm. without spoiling it 
<laughs> and this is especially a book that should not be spoiled. It's a wonderful book, but a challenge to talk about. <laughs> Even if in writing a linear fashion, was it hard to be uh, in the heads of these two characters? Because a writer has to get into the heads of their characters because they're very, very different people. They are different. And this was new for me. My other two novels did not sort of have the two different points of view. So it, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I also think it's sort of fun to get in the heads of the characters. So this was just sort of double the fun. I got to kind of experience the story from Jill's perspective and also from Alex's perspective. So as I mentioned, it's hard to talk about the story without giving it away, but it struck me and I'm, this is not exactly the first time anybody's ever thought of this, that intelligence and journalism are pretty similar pursuits in their execution. And I say that as a former journalist. The difference, of course, is that one is determined to keep what's learned secret, and the other's goal is to spread it to the world. And I thought that was a, a very interesting dynamic that you wove together and, and played with throughout your story. Yeah, I think as I was writing it, I was sort of struck by how similar the two professions were. And I'm not sure that I had appreciated that as much going into the book. But, you know, both characters really want to find the truth. And that's the same with um, with both professions. Um, you know, the, the truth is the ultimate goal, whether you're a CIA analyst trying to tell the truth to policymakers or you're a journalist trying to discover the truth and share it with the public. And so the, the two really do have a lot in common, you know, trying to make a difference, trying to you know, make the world a better place. But at the same time, yeah, there's that fundamental difference in the CIA. You're dealing with secret information and you, you don't want that truth to, to come out to the wider public. You know, you, you want to share it with the, the people who need to know um, the president, policymakers, things like that. But um, on the other side of things, you know, in, in journalism, you the ultimate goal is sort of sharing that information more broadly and getting it out. So th there is that dynamic that is sort of hard to reconcile. And it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because it's also there's also a symbiosis between the two. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I know that uh, journalists can make uh, very good uh, can be very good friends to CIA operatives and vice versa. And you touch on that also in the story. There are, there are things the CIA would like to share mm -hmm. and uh, without sharing and mm -hmm. journalists are handy. And of course, journalists like to share. And uh, there's, there's a little horse trading going on. There is. And there's sort of always going to be tension in that relationship between the intelligence services and journalists. But, um, you know, there are times when they can complement each other's work and certainly help each other. But there are times when they're sort of on opposite sides of things as well. Uh, I think what we can say about the story is that Jill's family uh, and specifically her son at the very beginning of the book is put in danger. And she's asked to do just one thing admonished to never speak of it to anyone. And for this, she will never be bothered again. And she rationalizes this, this choice because she thinks that she probably would have done this anyway. Um, but her reaction afterwards is to get as far away from the situation as possible. And I found that very chilling. 
of all the parts of the book uh, that we won't talk about, <laughs> I found that particularly chilling because <clears throat> I could see that happening. So I wanted to know if it was chilling to write. It, can a case officer or an analyst be put in this position? And, and what an impossible position it would be to be put in. I know I touched on this in a previous question, but I, I'd like to dig a little deeper into it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the idea for this book actually came to me when I was working at the CIA. It was, uh, my oldest son was about, he was a baby at the time and I had just dropped him at daycare and I was walking into Langley and I had some paperwork due. It was sort of reinvestigation paperwork. The agency periodically looks into employees' finances and personal contacts and things like that. So that was sort of going to be my, my work for the morning. I was going to kind of update this paperwork. And I just had this thought as I was working in. And I, that, that quote that you read earlier from the book, that was sort of the same thought that entered my head when, when I was walking to work and when I worked there was, you know, I, I wouldn't be, there, there was no amount of money that would make me turn on my country. There was no sort of persuasion or blackmail that anyone could, could kind of leverage over me to make me betray my country. But, you know, if, if something, if my son was in danger, you know, that was sort of, that might be a game changer. And that was sort of a chilling thought for me. And so that was what I came back to later when I wrote, you can run. And, you know, I tried to make it as chilling as possible. I tried to make the situation as, um, just as, as scary as possible. And what would you do and how can we make this as difficult as possible for, for Jill, the protagonist to deal with? And of course, Jill is, uh, has a desk job. She's an analyst. She reviews uh, applications for, for uh, uh, sources. And, you know, I, I, that's a job. It's kind of like a weird sort of HR job. Um, <clears throat> but I, I liked that later in the book, she has to draw on some of the skills she learned in her training. And that made me think, do... Uh, do analysts that you mentioned, men and women that go and work in Langley and they sit down at desks, do they have to go to the farm as well, which I know supposedly doesn't exist, but I know that it does. <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of training opportunities and there are two, um, you know, distinct sides to the agency. There's the analytic side and there's the operational side. And for the most part, analysts kind of work on the analytic side, but they're, you know, even on the on both sides, on the operational side, there are people who are sort of headquarters based who have been through a lot of training. And, you know, on the analytic side, there are people who sometimes um, go out into the field and they have a lot of specialized training before they do that. So there is sort of um, it, it's hard to kind of generalize too much about like any specific career path because people do have such varied experiences there. How many employees does the CIA have on, on the books? That is actually classified. <laughs> they actually don't release the numbers. <laughs> but quite a few. I've driven by the parking lot. <laughs> yes, the parking lot can get quite crowded. <laughs> um, I have to ask, uh, this thought came to you as you were walking into work. And so I, I just have to ask, has anything like this happened, which I'm sure if it had would be classified, but, but what might not be classified is if it did, what would the CIA do? Do they talk to parents about stuff like this? 
You know, that's an interesting question. And this can't be sort of beyond the realm of possibility. And it can't be something that the, that the security has not considered. Um, that being said, you know, I, I don't remember any sort of specific advice for a situation like this. So, you know, hopefully it is not happening, but I don't know. I think it's a scary thought. And um, I think that is sort of where a lot of people are vulnerable is their families. And just because, uh, you know, we, we love our families and, yes. and you, you want to do anything to protect your family. So I think that it is, it is a scary thought to me. What would the CIA do? If a member of your family was threatened, it doesn't have to be your child. It could be a spouse, a parent. Yeah, absolutely. There are vulnerabilities. There are for sure. And, you know, I have to think that they would take the appropriate action and do everything in their power to, to protect those people. But I think that, you know, in the case of you can run, I tried to sort of create the story where she doesn't feel like she can go to the agency and ask for that help. So in a scenario like that, where somebody has something going on in their personal life and they're keeping it a secret from the agency, the, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know how that would be um, dealt with because the people who would be dealing with it wouldn't know about it, you know? Well, if it hadn't been considered, you did send your book into uh, the CIA's pre-publication <laughs> approval. So they're probably looking at it going, you know, maybe we should get a policy going. <laughs> So after finishing the book, and and my lips are sealed, uh, because I did not see the end coming at all. And that's unusual. I can usually see sort of um, filaments of of how how a book is going to end. I didn't see it at all. I realized that what you had accomplished was showing how intelligence and counterintelligence is really a long game. Mm -hmm. And even so, at the end of your book, you can't be absolutely certain who is playing whom. So wow on that. Um, was that, once again, kind of a difficult thing to construct? Well, uh, I'm glad I caught you by surprise. And it it was in a way, but I, I think you you touched on it exactly right. You know, it is it is a long game. And I don't think that things are ever sort of completely settled in the intelligence world. And there's always sort of something else going on. And, you know, everything that happens can kind of be leveraged towards something else or it's part of something else and it leads to something else. And um, so, you know, I, I think that, that it seems sort of like a fitting end. Um, former C- members of the CIA seem to be drawn to writing. And I remember we talked about this a couple of years ago, but a few weeks ago, I spoke to Taylor Moore, who was an analyst turned operative, which I pointed out was very Jack Ryan, <laughs> about his debut novel, uh, Downrange. And I asked him why he started writing. And, and as, as I said to you, I thought it might be because in, in intelligence, you're often either telling or listening to stories and determining how much truth is woven in, or whether it's whole cloth or what. And his answer was interesting, though. He said he started writing stories before he went into intelligence when he was a kid. Okay. So uh, I'm wondering if you want to revisit uh, why you, after eight years as a working for the CIA, why you decided to write stories. You know, I have always liked writing, but that being said, I I didn't really ever see myself as 
uh, a writer. I, I was really happy with the intelligence kind of government side of things in that, that part of my career. Um, but I did just get to the point where I felt like I kind of needed a change. Um, you know, counterterrorism, it, it's its a lot kind of day in and day out to be thinking about that. And um, I got to the point where I, I just wanted to do something different and I, I gave it a shot. And that was um, kind of how Need to Know came about. But, you know, the the careers aren't really, they, they seem very different, but in a lot of ways, they're very similar. As an analyst, I spent so much of my day reading and writing and basically telling a story. So you have to kind of take all the intelligence reports that you're looking at, uh, human intelligence, signals intelligence, everything, and uh, tell a story, you know, look at what's important and fit it together and write it. And, you know, you're, you're writing for a very different audience. You're writing for policymakers, the president, uh, other senior, senior policymakers. But the idea is the same. You need to kind of tell a story that makes sense. You need to grab their attention. You need to make them read your analysis to the end and care about it. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of what I've tried to do with my books as well, sort of try to draw the reader in and grab their attention and hopefully, you know, tell a, a story that's going to keep them interested until the end. Not unlike journalism either, where you have to write a strong lead, get the reader engaged, (laughs) and hopefully get them to stay to the end. Exactly, exactly. But it's, it's, you know, uh, I've I've spoken to a number of of former CIA, uh, both operatives and analysts who become writers, and and many of them, all of the ones I've spoken to, at least, I think, are very, very good writers. So... It's comforting to me to know that, that there are so many people that are able to tell a story. So this, you know, your book, uh, you can run it, it. It feels like a standalone, but I would really enjoy seeing uh, Jill and Alex team up again, which is this is sort of a roundabout way of asking, uh, what do you have next? I don't have any plans right now to sort of revisit their story and kind of continue with their story. My next novel is actually centered around a neighborhood. And it's, again, it's a CIA uh, protagonist, uh, uh, but, um, you know, and and there are lots of secrets and lots of of questions and everything, but instead of kind of those secrets being within families, it's sort of secrets within this neighborhood. Well, and will that be out in uh, 2022? I think so. (laughs) That gives us something to look forward to. (laughs) Well, is there any, before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to say about You Can Run? As I said, this is a really difficult book to talk about, uh, the specifics of the plot without giving way too much away. And that's to your credit uh, (laughs) and, and, and my challenge Uh, But is there anything I might have missed or anything else you would like readers to to know about this book? Because it really is remarkable. Well, thank you. And yeah, I I guess the only other thing I might say is just that I really enjoyed sort of putting myself in the character's shoes as I was writing it and trying to think about the decisions that I would have made. And I I don't think there are easy answers in this book. I think that there are a lot of... um, a lot of decisions that would be really difficult. And so I hope that it gives readers a lot to talk about and think about. Well, it gave me a lot to think about, although as far as talking about it, uh, that was challenging. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us and talking about You Can Run. I wish you all the luck with this book because it really, really is good. Well, thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me on. It was nice to chat with you again. 